So I want to invite you to be seated as we come to God's Word, and uh, I'm just going to provide a brief word of introduction. Um, many of you know that this is Jeff Quinn, and uh, some of you don't because you're new with us tonight. So I want to give you a bit of context. In November of 2010, Jeff's tongue started to go numb, and uh, before we knew it, he was in the hospital and diagnosed with a, a pretty uh, intense and aggressive form of cancer called sarcoma. For a guy who was in seminary wanting to use his life to preach and to tell others about Jesus, it was pretty sobering news, and uh, the, the thought that he might lose his ability to speak. Um, in the, the intervening almost two years up to this point, we have walked as a, as a body closely with Jeff through a battle with cancer that has had its downs, big downs, and has also had more recently some miraculous encouragement of this sarcoma going into remission. Um, Jeff still has a lot in front of him health-wise. He still lives every day um, in many ways having to fight what is going on inside of his body. But I think for all of us who have gotten to watch Jeff walk through this trial, uh, we have been nothing but blessed by his faith and by his words of encouragement, by his prayers, uh, by his presence in, in our community. So it's a privilege to have Jeff again sharing with us from God's Word and uh, out of his own life experience. So Jeff, let me pray for you. God, we thank you for the great things that you're doing in our community and in Jeff's life especially. We thank you, Lord, for the strength that is being restored. We thank you that the, the cancer is on retreat right now. We pray that that would continue and that you would heal Jeff fully in Jesus' name, that he'd be given a clean and clear bill of health. God, we pray that... Um, your Holy Spirit would fill him now with boldness and courage as he brings your word to us, that you would speak to each one of us, Lord, and convict us and change us and encourage us as we come into your word and as Jeff brings us there. God, fill him and use him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your continued intercession on my behalf. I'm actually, I've begun um, six weeks of intensive therapy at Mass Eye here, and I'm just praying that um, the oxygen therapy and stuff like that will hopefully breathe new life into my bones and organs that I'm able to, for God's able to restore my own ability to fight this disease. It's been a long and very battle. Uh, it really has stretched my body um, to the breaking point and beyond, but the greatest challenge really has taken place on the spiritual level. The hardest battle has been the battle of faith. Really, it's been those moments when you wake up in the middle of the night and um, it's just you and your thoughts and um, plenty of time for despair. And then, you know, spending those moments where the, the questions come, come to me, why go on? What's the point, the purpose of going on? What, what am I to make of this life that God's given me? What's the point or purpose of this life? As a Christian, what, what have I been called to? This is a question I'd like to consider. What's, as Christians, what, what have we been called to? How are we to think of our lives on earth? What is, specifically, what is the Christian life? What is the Christian life? In the few minutes we have, I'd like to share what God's been teaching me. Now, the Bible describes the Christian life in a number of different colorful metaphors. 
first. You've probably heard the Christian life in terms of the race. As Christians, we're to compete in, in a marathon, in a type of marathon. We're to give it our full attention, our, our complete focus. And the hope is that at the end of this race, we'll finish, finish the race strongly and we'll receive a crown. The Christian life is also, um, there's a metaphor of it as a spiritual battle. Every day we suit up in the full armor of God, knowing that we're going to fight against spiritual forces every day. The Christian life has also been described as a pilgrimage. For pilgrims in the midst of an exodus, we realize that Egypt is a battle for Boston. Although we pray for Boston, we love Boston. We know that Boston is at home. We're looking forward to a new city, a new creation. The Christian life is also described as sowing and reaping, in terms of dying and living and raising, crucified life and the resurrection life. But there's something else. The Christian life is a song of thanksgiving. The Christian life is a song of praise. This is the image that God has been imprinting on my heart. Addressing the church in this letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are called to be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to define just what that means. We're to address ourselves, we're to address each other in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God our Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a thankful life. Look at, look at the healing of the Samaritan leper in Luke's gospel. Beginning in uh, chapter 17, verse 17, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Then Jesus answered, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go, go your way, your faith has made you well. So is having the right knowledge, is having the correct theology enough to live the Christian life? No. True faith always responds to the universe. The Samaritan lover thanked Jesus, and Jesus told him that his faith had been love. The truly redeemed love always responds with a thankful heart. This was true for the Samaritan lover. It was true for Mary Magdalene. It was true for Zacchaeus. It was true for the Apostle Paul, and it's true for us. Every sinner, every sinner saved by grace, responds with a thankful heart. The Christian life is a call to thankfulness. God's grace transforms us into living hymns, into living songs. Our lives become songs of praise. So we're called to be thankful, but that doesn't mean life is easy. We've all been hit by a few errors. Maybe you're wondering why. And how can I possibly live a life in a state of constant praise? These are two questions I'd like us to consider. First, why be thankful? And second, how do we do it? How do we live a life of praise? Why be thankful? And how do we live a life of praise? First, why be thankful? Well, secular science, psychology research tells us that exercise and gratitude does more than lift our mood. 
at UC Davis and at UC Riverside, student subjects were assigned gratitude journals. This is a daily diary in which they were to write down three reasons every day why they were thankful, three things for which they were thankful. And at the end of the week, they were supposed to go through their journals and tally up all the blessings that they had that week and to just write a little, a little something on them. And what they found at the end of the study is that the students who took the time to count their blessings at the end of each week experienced lower rates of depression and improved health of the control group. Now they've, they've repeated this experiment in similar experiments at UPenn, at University of Michigan, and here at Harvard. And all show that this, this exercise of gratitude, it reduces rates of depression, it decreases illness, and improves the, the gracious person's overall well-being. So, why do you Secular science has some benefits. It reduces our depression, it reduces anxiety, it improves our sense of overall well-being, and it enhances our physical health. The problem with these experiences, though, is that for the most part, the boost in, in the overall well-being isn't lasting. Usually within a few months, the participants return to the baseline. Within a few months, they eventually give up the, the practices altogether of thankfulness. You see, the problem with these experiments is that um, they're told to be thankful, but they're not told why. You see, they're reaching for reasons to be thankful each day. Boyfriends, girlfriends, performance in sports, performance in school, health, money, job prospects. But the problem is that none of these things are lasting. None of these, these things endure. You can't sustain a life of thanks. You can't sustain a life of thanks on them because they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. So we know from science that a thankful attitude is good for us. It improves our overall health and well-being, but we also know that whatever we tire thanks to in this life will at some point likely let us down. So where do we find a reason to be thankful, a reason that will enable us to walk through this life with thankful hearts, to live in a constant state of praise? Well, the answer to that question is found only in Christ. It's only when we take time to consider who Jesus is and what he's done for us that we're able to respond to whatever situation we're found in with hearts of thanks, with hearts of gratitude, with hearts of praise. It's only in Christ when we take time to meditate, to consider with our hearts the true reason for thankfulness, that we're able to sustain this level of gratitude. Okay, so we know that the true reason, what the true reason for thankfulness is. But what has Christ done exactly that allows me to live a life of praise? If you turn with me to Psalm this is a hymn praise written by David, but it's a song for anyone who's tasted God's grace. It reveals the benefits, the reason for praising God in three concentric circles. First, we're given reasons to praise God from the perspective of the individual. Then we're given reasons to praise God from the perspective of the community. And then we're invited to join a chorus of all creation in praising God. 
what I'd like to do is focus on that first part, the personal part of the psalm, verses 1 through 5. Beginning with verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The psalm begins by who are addressing a holy God, a God who set apart, whose greatness is above and beyond anything we can imagine. And then David enters into an inward dialogue with himself. His mind is instructing his emotions. Bless the Lord, all that is within me, and forget not all his benefits. And here he determines to worship, to worship God. You see, to worship God is it's going to be something as total as God's blessings are to us. All that is within me responds to all his benefits. That's how worship should be. And then beginning in verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. For the child of God, forgiveness and healing go hand in hand. God took our sins and our sickness upon himself on the cross, and by his wounds we have been healed, and by his stripes we have been healed. This is a done deal. Every day I pray that God would heal me of cancer. To not pray for healing would waste an opportunity to glorify God. But we know that healing doesn't come to us all in the present moment. It doesn't come to us all on this side of eternity. We are forgiven. Right? We are healed. Forgiveness is complete. That's, that's done. But the healing um, may be yet to come. This was plain in David's life. He was forgiven of murder and adultery. The moment he turned to God, his forgiveness was immediate. But healing was denied the child of God. Despite all of David's prayers and fasting, the child died. Aslan the Lion, Chronicles of Narnia, tells us that most people have died. There are few who haven't. I was once dead too. Unless this century, unless in this century Jesus returns, it's likely that every one of us here will at some point die. But this doesn't mean we're all going to remain dead. Jesus is alive, and one day I plan to come back with him, more alive, more physically whole, more joyful than I can ever imagine. Why? Look at verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. See, David knew in a dim way what we know with absolute clarity. The grave of the pit is not the Christian's resting place. Why? Because Christ the King crowns us. He's made us children to be in love. And do you realize that you're a prince? You're a king of the living God. And you can give him a share in his kingdom. Verse 5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. There was an ancient Near Eastern fable in David's time that the eagle rises periodically so close to the sun that it's, it's completely scorched. And it, it falls burning like, like a meteor down to the ocean. And it crashes into the sea and then it's, it's regenerated as like a rebirth and flies back to the sky. As 
this is reading through this, we know that this is an allusion to resurrection. See, God's goodness will see us renewed. We know that the Christian life is long, praise God. And we can give him the reasons. Forgiveness of sins, healing from disease, redemption from the grave, a crown and the promise of a kingdom, resurrection and new life. But knowledge doesn't always translate it doesn't knowledge doesn't always translate into faith or to practice. Remember in the gospel lesson there were ten lepers who were healed. Ten of them knew that Jesus had healed them, but only one returned to praise him. So how do we do it? How do we return day after day, circumstance after circumstance to give Christ praise? How are we respond how will we respond to all Christ's benefits. How do we live this life of the song of praise? This truth brings us to our second question. How do we live the life of praise? The truth is we all get to choose what to meditate on. We all get to choose what station on to tune into. We can't control thoughts that come into our head, but we can choose which thoughts to lean on. From where I'm standing, I've got lots of reasons to be anxious. If I lean on the statistics, the survival rates are going my cancer at my stage. There isn't a lot to celebrate. If I spend a lot of time considering the, the possible side effects from my treatments, I'm not going to have much time to think about anything else. I've got reasons to lean on. I've got a chemo cord on my chest. My immune system is shot. And every three months, I'm being scanned for growth in cancer. I have reasons to lament, but also have reasons to sing praise. It's been my experience that the way to move from lament to praise is not to ignore it. It's not to deny or to stop it. Don't deny your fear, but rather, and don't stew in them either. The key is to bring your tears to the throne of grace. Right, to bring your tears to the throne of God and to process them. Bring all of your tears, bring all of your baggage before Jesus and let, let him work through it with you in his presence. In Revelation 5, the Apostle John appears before the throne of God with real tears. But there he's comforted and encouraged to look at Jesus, the conquering lion. But when he looks to the throne, what does he see? He sees a lamb appearing as though it had been slain. You can turn with me to Revelation 5, beginning with verse 5. And one of the elders said to him, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the scroll was the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a heart and golden bowls full of incense. They all the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The faith that you express in Psalm 103 is impressive, but you and I have much more reason to sing praise. We have much more reason to be thankful. See, along with John, we have the full revelation. We have been given a much clearer vision of the salvation that was purchased for us on the cross. We can stop weeping because the lion Jesus conquered death by taking your place on the cross. Jesus was stripped bare so that all of your shame could be covered. You see, it's by Jesus' stripes, it's by his wounds that you can heal. And whatever trial you're going through, I encourage you to process it before the throne of God. Your victory in Christ, whatever the circumstances. As a child of God, your suffering is no longer punishment, but it's the process of purification. It's meant to bring you to the throne of grace to see your ultimate hope, your ultimate healing, your ultimate destiny. When we process our, 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 our pain through the, the lens of resurrection, our groanings become labor pains. Right? Labor pains for a new creation, with the enemy of our soul would use to destroy our joy, to destroy our relationship with God, actually draws us to him. We let go of those things that are passing and cling tightly to the thing that will never leave us. We can cling tightly to Christ in him. So what Satan would use to destroy your love for God, God uses it that you might cherish Christ above everything. We can sing praise, we can live lives of praise, even in the hardest of times, because we know that God is using this all to conform us into the image of His Son. So that we would, we'd be transformed like the Lion of Judah, with the hearts of the Lamb. He's found you worthy to suffer. Right? This doesn't mean that, and, and this doesn't mean that we don't pray for a better life, for healing in this life, um, for a better world, right? for a better city, for reform. As Christians, we're to pray about these things and work harder for these things than anyone else. But we realize that our ultimate healing, our ultimate destiny, it's, it's not here. We pray for and, and in the process, we can pray for all of these things that with the heart of praise, knowing that the answer to all of these things, a better life, healing, better circumstances, the answer is yes in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you alone are worthy to receive our praise. You alone are worthy to receive our life song. Because you were slain, and by your blood you purchased us. You purchased us to be priests and to be kings. Father, priests on this earth, Father, which you will return. 
And one day we will reign with you here, Father, with resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth, with our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let our mortal bodies sing your praise. Father, let our lives be songs of praise, songs of thanks for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.